We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Welcome back to the Mark Reardon Show. Brad Young sitting in this afternoon and... I read today that autopsies performed on four University of Idaho students who were found dead inside of a rental house near campus. It showed that all four were stabbed to death, and that was confirmed as the cause of death. The killings have really shaken Idaho, and they've shaken this country uh, because of the brutality of what we're seeing and the fact that we simply don't know very much. Uh, And that's all on top of the fact that this town— This is the first murder they've had there in over five years. So given all these unknowns, I reached out to my good friend, Attorney John Davis, former federal prosecutor, currently a defense attorney with the law firm of Kessler Williams. Uh, Hey, John, welcome to 97.1 FM Talk. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. Good good talking to you. Yeah. Uh, During this week, we've seen this tragedy really unfold in Utah regarding these four students, and, and we know Really, we know very little about the status of the investigation. So I'm just going to ask you to spitball a little bit here. Uh, Based on your experience as a federal prosecutor, what do you believe that investigators will be looking for? Well, I think there's very little known about the status of the investigation on purpose. So that the, the police, and when I say the police, it's my understanding the team has grown from the Moscow, Idaho Police Department, obviously, and certainly campus police to include the the Idaho State Police mm, and the FBI, you know, bringing the FBI on board, the toolbox of things that law enforcement has at their disposal increases dramatically. So what they're doing, they're right now, they're gathering as much evidence as possible. And, and evidence, if you make the air quotes, you know, that's a lot more than just fingerprints or, or items that maybe someone left behind at the scene. Um, I'm pretty sure you could be assured that law enforcement has individually interviewed anyone and everyone who has had contact with those victims. You know, in, in this day and age, there are teams of investigators doing a cyber search of cellular devices, social media, and all the other communication platforms that I'm not familiar with, but college students certainly are. Um, you know, and of course, there's just security cameras everywhere now. So, if they're lucky enough to, to review footage in the vicinity of the murders in hopes of getting a break of something caught on video. I'll also tell you this, with FBI on board, they're going to bring on an assistant United States attorney and work closely with the prosecutors so that anything, whether it's a search warrant, whether it's a wiretap, whether it's securing that video footage is done correctly so that the case is airtight when it gets to court. 
Right. And and if that uh, assistant U.S. attorney would not be brought on, and obviously we, we know that it would, but the whole purpose there, you said to keep it airtight, because if there are if there are problems in the gathering of that evidence or the execution of search warrants, that would all create problems for the prosecution down the road once some eventual suspect lawyers up. That's exactly correct. If if uh, law enforcement uh, doesn't conduct the search warrant correctly or the interview correctly or maybe a, a lineup identification of a suspect, something like that, those three things are all subject to suppression later on before trial. And obviously, if the confession is suppressed and the prosecution can't mm-hmm. use it, there's suddenly a weakness in the prosecution's case. Yeah, we're talking to criminal defense attorney John Davis with the law firm of Kessler Williams right here in St. Louis. And I, I just read this morning, John, I, don't, I haven't had any confirmation of this, but I read that a family member of one of the victims, I believe, posted something on social media indicating that that the, one of the victims had bruising uh, on the arms. And I guess that raised a question in my mind. Uh, we hear the term defensive wounds. What is that? And why might they be significant when you're investigating a murder scene like this? Yeah, that's unfortunate, Brad. I think I read the same thing. I'm pretty sure the young lady's name is Jasmine. Um, Self-defense wounds are pretty common in stabbing attacks or other physical attacks that don't necessarily involve a firearm. The nature of a stabbing attack lends itself to a victim raising their hands, raising their arms to fend off the attack, the the actual blade. Um, It also indicates that the offense may not have been an instant event. That is, at some point, the assailant and the victim had to literally face off with each other, and it would have taken some time for the fatal blows uh, to have been struck. But going back to your previous question, Forensics experts will certainly check underneath victims' fingernails, Mm, um, comb through their clothing and things like that for potential DNA evidence um, that hopefully the victim was able to uh, to scratch off of the assailant. And and so so much of the time now, John, uh, we've become uh, so accustomed to watching police procedurals on TV where everything gets wrapped up in 44 minutes. But this type of this type of forensic investigation and analysis. And, and questioning, this takes actual time, doesn't it? it? It certainly does. You collect evidence like that. and But again, with a federal agency like DEA, and, and I'm not trying to slight Idaho, I'm sure they have the capability as well, but the federal uh, authorities assisting with this will speed up that kind of investigation considerably. Mm-hmm. And, and this morning, and this was not the FBI that I saw interviewed, I, wh- whom I saw interviewed this morning, uh, was the prosecuting attorney for uh, for Moscow, Idaho. And he stated that uh, it was his belief that the victims must have known the attacker because there was no evidence of forced entry into this rental home. But I got to tell you, John, we're, we're talking about college kids who are partying on a Saturday night at a rental house. And is really an unlocked door, is that actual solid evidence that the victims knew their attacker or is that just one piece of evidence that could go either way? Well, I think either one of you could be correct to tell you the truth. It's certainly not definitive. Um, but at first blush, it definitely lends itself to the conclusion that the defendants knew the victims and or somehow had easy access to the house. Um, 
but I agree with you as well. Um, you know, I have a theory here at my house that if a door is closed, it's locked for obvious right. reasons. Sure. Uh, probably not so so conscientious about that when I was in college. <laughs> no, listen, I knew you in college, my friend. You were not. Okay. <laughs> uh, but but to me, I just think that that's uh, that's not a definitive piece of evidence. Sure, it's it's one piece that's going to have to be put together uh, as a puzzle piece with the rest of the evidence as all of the evidence starts to come out. But it seems to me kind of uh, uh, reckless to say just because the door was unlocked that they must have known their the, the attackers. And, and I think what I'm hearing from you is, is that we have to meld that with other evidence as the investigation progresses before we can reach any conclusions. That's, a, that's absolutely correct. You don't, you don't want to jump to that conclusion this early on and, and not allow yourself to examine other possibilities. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking to criminal defense attorney John Davis, former prosecuting attorney. He's with the law firm of Kessler Williams right here in St. Louis. And uh, I'm not jumping to any conclusions here, but, John, the one of the earlier hunches that came to my mind uh, was that maybe the killer had been stalking one of these uh, college kids. Three of the four people who were killed were female. Uh, and and if that was the case, if someone was stalking them, they could have found an unlocked door, headed on in and committed the crimes. I'm not asking you to speculate, but there are a, a lot of different possible scenarios right here that we're not going to have any answers to until we start hearing some of the results of the investigation. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, your, your presumption, I guess there is, is definitely one scenario, but I think if we all think about it for five minutes, we can probably come up with three or four others that would fit equally as well. So, you know, one of the techniques that law enforcement uses when drilling down on a possible motive is to come up with a possible reason and work as hard to disprove it as hard as they sure. do to prove it. And then that's a very important point. Yes. It, it, it prevents law enforcement from being too myopic where, mm-hmm. okay, it has to be someone had access to the house. It has to be another student because we all know it could be the landlord who had the master key. It could be all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But if an assumption is made, Law enforcement has to be really careful not to focus on that investigation, proving that assumption at the risk of possibly missing the truth. Right. Because you've seen that uh, paradox from both sides of the aisle as as a federal prosecutor and as a criminal defense attorney, where if they're too hyper focused on one particular theory, they're excluding all other possibilities. And that could create a situation where the wrong person is is arrested. You know, you see that a lot frequently when, you know, unfortunately someone has served 20 years in a, in a penitentiary and 20 years later they find out that was a false conviction because police focused on something too narrowly and didn't look at it with a wide net. Hmm. Well, I know that you're going to be continuing to track this, John, and, and, uh, uh, and if I have an opportunity, I'm going to reach out to you again as this unfolds because it's horrific in its nature but it's also, uh, it, to me, it stands out because of what we don't know as much as, as what we do know. John Davis, of course, with the law firm of Kessler Williams here in St. Louis. John, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon on 97.1 FM Talk. Thanks for having me, Brad. John, as always, it's great to talk to you. Uh, you too. Sue, uh, I know this has been really a captivating story 
Um, how how is this impactful? Do you think from an emotional perspective? Well, let me. Oh, okay, uh, from emotional perspective. Well, they didn't say for days. Yes. What the, what the uh, weapons were. I mean, there were no guns involved. We knew that. But uh, even though the rumor was it must be knives, no one ever knew. And we certainly didn't know, or I didn't, that they were sleeping or they mm-hmm. were in bed at the time. And then there was a story that two other people were in that apartment and yes. weren't harmed at all. Blah, blah, yes. blah, blah. Well, it was a three-story house, and uh, the the victims were on the first floor apparently there was no one on the second floor it was a rental house but then the two students who were sleeping oh were on, were the, on third the third floor. floor okay and so uh in fact i heard the prosecuting attorney this morning say they are not suspects in any way uh but even that makes it because it makes you think if someone if four people are getting murdered shouldn't you hear that and not just murdered stabbed yes, while they're sleeping brutally murdered so this isn't uh, we were in an argument and oops somebody pulled out a knife this is i went into a house and stabbed four sleeping people yes. and that is emotionally disturbing on a much more uh, intense level than yeah people were arguing this could be oh it could happen to me tomorrow Right. They could Mm -hmm. be targeted. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm certain that there are a lot of social media accounts that are being examined. Oh, uh, I bet. You know, because maybe that maybe one of those, again, three of the four victims were were women. They were very attractive women. And I could certainly see someone in college. I could see someone getting obsessed with one of these women. And maybe they posted something on online on social media. And I see that as a focal point. Well, you know, I'm a hardcore Dateline watcher. Uh, yeah. So uh, and <laughs> my it, whole family sometimes, is too. Sometimes it could. Don't you think Keith Morrison would? Get oh, this? oh, yeah. But uh, in this situation, sometimes it's it's as crazy as we didn't like the boyfriend girlfriend situation, but we killed the other two to hide it. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, it sure. could be any number of things. So the right. more information we have, the better off we will be. But it is disturbing. Well, and, and there's another piece of information I can assure you. I haven't read about it, but I can promise you that this type of forensics is going on right now. It's called geofencing. Oh, what is that? Okay, Geofencing is where, uh, because we all have walking uh, identifiers in our pockets called cell phones. Mm-hmm. And what happens with geofencing is that... The FBI, and they can get access to all these records, identify the nearest towers. Oh, you're talking about the pinging. The pinging. Well, yes. Exactly. You know this from Dateline. Come on. It's called geofencing. So they're just going to see where the, well, yeah, whose phone was pinging on what tower. I like it. And they can find every, the investigators can identify every single cell phone that pinged the the nearest Mm -hmm. towers to the scene of the crime. They'll have the names, addresses, and phone numbers of every person and then you just have to go through the list and yeah. find out who had an alibi, who didn't. And I promise you that that's going on right now. Good. It was just odd that we didn't have the information immediately. Maybe Idaho isn't used to this sort of thing. I'm not sure what it was, but there was a delay. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was and a big delay. I, I'm sure everybody in that particular area was really freaking out. I mean, it was really Wednesday before the story started to break, and, and they were killed Saturday night. Ugh. So there is certainly, certainly more going to come from this story as the investigation uh, proceeds. Hey, coming up after the break, speaking of investigations, FTX, huge cryptocurrency company. In fact, if you ever watch Major League Baseball, every umpire's pocket has an FTX uh, symbol on their pockets. Now, I don't think you'll see it next year, but you saw it certainly this year and the year before. Huge company. It's collapsed literally over the last week or so. When we come back from the break, 
We're going to ch- talk to John Burlaw. Uh, he is with the uh, uh, the Enterprise uh, Institute, the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Talk to him about this collapse, where the investigation is going to go, and just as importantly, what are the political ramifications of this collapse? Brad Young in for Mark Reardon. We'll be right back. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Brad Young in for Mark Reardon this afternoon. And I want to talk about this FTX collapse because this is perhaps the largest corporate collapse since Enron. And we, if you remember the Enron collapse, you remember how it spilled over. There were so many ramifications to the industry, to Wall Street, to Washington, D.C., uh, so many implications. So joining us to discuss all of this is John Burlaw. He is a senior fellow and director of finance of policy at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. John, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon on 97.1 FM Talk. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the, sh- on the show, Brad. Sure. Uh, give us an overview. Uh, FTX is something that a lot of us have, have known about for a while, but for those who haven't heard of it, what is FTX? Well, it was one of the, uh, and I write about this, my colleagues and I are writing about this at our website, CEI.org. Um, FTX was one of the largest crypto exchanges, uh, had just become that in a couple of years, did us the Super Bowl commercial, the famous one, with Larry David meeting all the historical figures and uh, um, had naming rights for, I think, the, the stadium in Miami and just became, and was also a, becoming a, a big lobbying force, particularly among progressives in Washington, was lobbying for more extensive regulation that its competitors said you know would would you know make it would make it a monopoly but it it all came crashing down and it looked like uh, the SEC was looking at well they were looking you know doing all these things as far as forcing companies to show how green they were now in compliance with ESG they were just letting this fraud fester there hmm. so this FTX one of the largest cryptocurrency companies uh, it collapsed. What does that look like? You know, I mean, we can hear that it collapsed, but describe or tell us a little bit about what that collapse looked like. There was an article, and I should say alleged fraud, um, even though you did just to, to be careful, although things look pretty sketchy and irregularities. Um, but the um, it uh, there was a report in the uh, crypto news site CoinDesk about that it was using its token, its own tokens created in-house, its own in-house created cryptocurrency, which was not really as widely circulating as Bitcoining and, and violating those at, billi- at billions of dollars. Then, uh, then a rival site, um, a rival exchange of Binance, which was an investor, 
sold those and that led to a mass panic and other things came out about you know it was it was selling to uh uh like it's a it's it's company that uh, a company that was run by the same ceo um was making lo- uh, lo- unauthorized loans to uh a company called alameda research and then using customer uh just using customer funds just for all sorts of things that they didn't uh, and and the investors didn't mm-hmm. authorize and then it eventually so much got so much heat and so many people were withdrawing that it uh, filed for bankruptcy within a few days. Uh, we're we're talking uh, just to break down because this this topic can can make someone's eyes roll in the back of their heads if they don't follow this stuff on a regular basis. Uh, that's why we're talking to John. Burlaw. Uh, he is the Senior Fellow and Director of Finance Policy at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And John, one of the things uh, that immediately jumped out at me, uh, FTX CEO and founder Sam Bankman-Fried, he's been closely linked to Democrat politicians and progressive causes. And Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, uh, is obviously concerned about Democrats impeding or potentially impeding uh, this investigation into the collapse of FTX. What did Senator Hawley do today? I'm I'm not, not familiar. I didn't catch up on the news, but I think a lot of people, you know, should be concerned with what the the SEC, what um, uh, uh, Biden appointed Gary Gensler, what he was doing when there were warnings about FTX, like from the short seller Mark Cahody about so when he when he said in August nothing seems to fit here, and and you know, what what he what he will do now. So people should, and Congress needs to launch its its own investigation of what went wrong and why and how the the SEC at the same time were, were harassing legitimate businesses, including legitimate um, uh, crypto issuers, that where there was no allegation of fraud, including one called Library for a website, Odyssey, that was sort of competing with YouTube and putting some of the censored videos up there. And the SEC was going after that, even though no fraud was alleged. And Gary Gensler bragged about this as a big win, but they were just letting FTX fester, even though there were some obvious things as far as like just um, – you know, ten guys running a in a commune in the Bahamas running a you know a billion dollar exchange that should have at least merited investigation. Well, uh, and, and some lawsuits have have arisen out of this. I, I read today uh, that uh, lawsuits by uh, by investors who have lost billions. At one point, FTX was valued at thirty two billion dollars, uh, and that uh, defrauded investors have filed lawsuits against Larry David, Tom Brady. Giselle Bunsen, you mentioned the Larry David commercial, but he's now a defendant in a lawsuit. Uh, Do you think those lawsuits are going to go anywhere uh, against these celebrities who were advertising to promote something that ultimately was a Ponzi scheme and, and a fraudulent corporate activity? It's very hard. It's very hard to say if that will or if they will settle beforehand. I mean, I don't know, and I don't imagine that. Well, they don't know, you know, the inner workings of uh, of how cryptocurrency works. But I'd say it's a good lesson just to make sure you know the inner workings of a uh, something about the inner workings of a of a business before you get involved, like as as an as an endorser or uh, or or as an as as an investor. Well, uh, now that the Republicans have taken over uh, the House of Representatives starting in January, do you foresee that this will be one of the many areas of oversight uh, that the Republican House of Representatives is going to investigate? Because apparently 
uh, uh, FTC regulators really weren't involved with this at all in terms of monitoring cryptocurrency in general and FTX in particular. Do you see this as a focal point of the Republican House of Representatives come January? Well, it should be. I mean, with the with the with the with the SEC, uh, certainly it should be about and how, you know, ESG can be. And Sam Bankman-Fried almost gave a you know, he gave a sort of a confessional interview and said that ESG was sort of, you know, all cover for some of the, you know, alleged uh, uh, shenanigans there. So just. Is there is there now if if you know if a company is bragging about its environmental and social governance is it uh, um, uh, is is it to cover up its weak corporate governance that definitely should be a focus and why the SEC was spending so much time you know putting mandates like on oil and gas companies for ESG where no fraud was alleged but they wanted companies to basically say how green they were or weren't wow. Um, FTX was, you know, actual fraud was uh, uh, that hurt investors was was festering. Hmm. And, and I don't know that you have an opinion on this or not. And if you don't, it's certainly fine. Uh, but uh, I just wonder about Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren has been such an outspoken critic of basically of corporate America in general. She always highlights issues of fraud and greed by corporate America, which, of course, that does occasionally occur. Uh, human beings are still involved. And yet I haven't heard her come out and yell and scream about the FTX collapse. And perhaps that might be because of her connection uh, to the FTX donors. But there, there is no dispute, is there, John? About well, the well Sam Bankman-Fried's father also wrote, uh, there's been a reports wrote uh, tax legislation for her. So that's the thing. Gary Gensler and Elizabeth Warren both are trying to point fingers at the industry. But no, there are just, there are, there are you need to go after, you don't blame, you know, a, a, a whole industry for, for, one, for one alleged fraudster. You go, out, you go after the wrongdoers. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that just, you know, um, crypto isn't exempt for fraud and they need and they need to uh, uh, use the, what the laws they have and, the, and then see uh, but rather than, you know, kind of a, a rush to regulate like Dodd-Frank and Sarbanes-Oxley made it made it, you know, frustrated, you know, frustrates honest entrepreneurs and small investors. Well, one thing that I would encourage you to look at is Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri wrote a letter today uh, to Merrick Garland, the attorney general outlining avenues of investigation, outlining uh, the, his concern that since, uh, uh, since the CEO and founder of FTX donated exclusively to Democrat causes and Democrat politicians, uh, certainly Josh Hawley's concerned about the potential of Democrats thwarting or impeding any sort of investigation into the FTX collapse. But my question for you is this. Where do you foresee the investigation going from here? What will it look like and what could we expect to see, whether it's from uh, the, the uh, House of Representatives, whether it's from the FTC, whether it's from the, uh, the Justice Department? What will this investigation look like? I hope it will be be a thorough investigation to look at you know what exactly the SEC was doing, whether the, all of their pursuits. I mean, they've been making rules at breakneck pace, but those rules sometimes on ESG have little to do with investor investor protection. How they missed this? Did they were there warnings? Did they listen to the? Why didn't they listen to the the short sellers on this and investigate just just like as as Theranos, the the medical device firm, which in which the founder was uh, sentenced to, uh, to death. 
day as as an investor fraud case, you know, earlier, and also, you know, not rush through to regulate where you could hurt honest entrepreneurs and, you know, legitimate uh, crypto holders and people trying to build wealth or, or use or use cryptocurrency and blockchain to benefit their company. But, you know, but well thought out regulation as far as and, and modernizing some of the laws, including, you know, having safer alternatives like, you oh, know, um, exactly. crypto based funds. Yeah, exactly. Because at this point, cryptocurrency isn't something that's uh, very that's regulated to any significant degree, is it? Well, it's it's haphazard. The SEC is without authority from Congress, like they did with uh, Ripple XRP, which is available in many other countries, but was but the SEC banned, based, effectively banned here, and others are saying it's a security, but it's really not a security. It doesn't issue, it doesn't you know ha- pay dividends or give a share in the company, and so there needs to be like a different type. I mean, the general anti-fraud laws still apply, apply so I would say it, would, it should be you know regulation. The laws should be updated to you know. Uh, reflect the realities of cryptocurrency, but also allowing things like banks actually to hold um, uh, to hold for their customers crypto and in trust accounts in the same way that they hold things like jewelry. So where you don't, you know, of the bank, you aren't prey to like an exchange's uh, mm-hmm. uh, having to, having to do a bankruptcy. If you wanted, you know, the extra protection, you could you could get it. Right, create a fiduciary relationship, and that might help. We're talking to John Burlaw. He's the senior fellow and director of finance policy at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Hey, John, if folks want to read your articles, both on this topic and others, where can they find you? CEI.org. And I'm also on Twitter at Jay Burlow and on LinkedIn. So I'm, I'm posting, posting there, as, there as well. Excellent. Hey, John, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon on 97.1 FM Talk. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's uh, this is we've only scratched the surface of this topic. It's the tip of the iceberg, and uh, and we this this will get messier and messier as the investigation unfolds. Hey, we've got more coming up in the next segment here, uh, including, and I know Sue's going to look at me and just roll her eyes because she does when I do this. I'm going to ask her uh, about how her thoughts on how many people have never built a snowman. Do you think Ugh. do you think there are people that have never built a snowman? Sure, there are people who have never seen snow. Well, that's true. So we're going to get into that and many other topics in the last segment. Uh, Brad Young sitting in for Mark Reardon on 97.1 FM Talk, St. Louis's home for conservative talk. Sue Thomas. Question for you. Yes. I kind of teased it before. Uh, According to a poll that came out today, one in three people, 33% of Americans, have never built a snowman. Number one, does the number surprise you? Number two, how sad is that? It is sad, but I think that we have a lot of states that just don't get snow. Yeah, like Southern California. Southern California, Arizona. Texas. I mean, you have to be pretty far up in New Mexico to get some sure. of Florida, all the southern states. So I, I do understand it. I saw somebody uh, make one with the snow that we had earlier this week. Oh, really? If you are hardcore. Oh, that is hardcore. Yeah. Because there wasn't, it wasn't it was just, big. And it was just in the grassy areas. It wasn't yeah. on the street. But. He and the, his two girls made one that was, yeah. Three I, feet tall. I, well, I got to tell you, I had a, an exchange student from Mexico Oh, stay at our house. We, When my kids were in high school, we had several exchange students, but one was from Mexico. And so he comes in, and on the day they land at Lambert, it snowed. The day oh. they land. 
And so there was a whole group of, of and I think they were from uh, Saltillo, Mexico. I believe that's where they were from. And they get off the plane at Lambert. My wife and I are there to pick them up. And they none of these kids had ever seen snow in their oh, entire lives. How fun for you to watch. And the seeing the joy and the wonder of like, what is that? That is crazy. Coming from the sky, that was a sight to behold. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, that was a sight to behold. And then all of that joy and wonder got flushed because when he got here, we, we took him to a we took him to a Mexican restaurant so he could tell us how it wasn't anything in there that was Why Mexican. Why would you take him to a Mexican? <laughs> what are you doing? Well, well, there was method to my madness <laughs> okay. because when we went to the restaurant, I told all the staff that it was this guy's birthday. And so they, they came out and it's, it's, it's saying Mexican birthday this songs. This poor guy has just seen snow, I just know. gotten off a plate. This poor child is it confused. This it was, is terrible. It was torture. And oh, my, my daughters are like, oh, Dad, stop it. You think you're funny. And oh, my goodness. It was, it, was, it, was, it was rather brutal. But here's something else that's brutal. In the same poll that said 33% of Americans have never built a snowman, one in four have never had hot chocolate. Well, same thing, I think. You think right? if it's Depends cold, on where you are. I mean, if it's hot, you mm-hmm. don't get. It doesn't get very cold. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be drinking Mm-mm. hot chocolate. Mm-mm. I know, but but think of the joy that they're missing out of, missing out on. It's it's a cool evening. You got a blanket. You make some hot chocolate. I you, haven't uh, gotten over the fact that this poor kid gets off the airplane, <laughs> and you take him to a Mexican restaurant. I, I and, Ashlyn, it's not me, right? No, I, you know, one of my best friends is from Portugal, and I feel like it'd be similar to be like, hey, let's go try some European food while you're here. <laughs> but but the reason why I did it, I, we're, we're going to circle back to this because you just can't let it go. No. But the reason why I did it was to show him that it, Mexican restaurants, they're not Mexican in any way. It's American cuisine okay. that's dressed up as Mexican. How about we do that on week three, right? <laughs> Day one? <laughs> It's snowing. He's like, where am I? I'm in a completely different country. Let's go to a Mexican restaurant. Oh, and, horrible. And I did, we did, whenever they came out to sing happy birthday, one of those staff yeah, in the restaurant. Yeah, he told him it was his butt. This is just. They, they put a sombrero on him. See? And that, that was bad. This, is, this whole thing is terrible. This is terrible. Oh, sheesh. I've ruined your day. No, it's all right. I've ruined your day. But, uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, I, I just, one, 25% of Americans know hot chocolate. That's sad. That is is sad. Well, listen, before we run out of time, I want to make sure we get to the audio cut of the day. Stand by. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. The audio cut of the day is sponsored by the Good Feet Store, comfort, energy, and performance, and also pain relief, all at the Good Feet Store. Make sure that you check it out. Uh, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to in the new year is... Not getting back on the treadmill. No, I'm not looking forward to that. But I am looking forward to Republicans taking over the House of Representatives and having an investigatory uh, oversight over the Biden administration. Why do I say that? Well, here's what Karl Rove had to say about what he looks forward to from the new Congress. Yeah, well, look, regardless, if, if, the, if this hadn't happened, the Republicans were likely to start off with two sets of investigations. Mm-hmm. The uh, House uh, Oversight Committee, James Comer of Kentucky chairing it, would be looking at Hunter Biden. Uh, and uh, we would have the, ju- the Judiciary Committee chaired by Jim Jordan of Ohio looking into the weaponization uh, potentially of the mm-hmm. DOJ and 
uh, the FBI in, in, in the so-called uh, Russian collusion hoax. And, and one of the things I got to tell you on this Hunter Biden story, I was very slow to this story. Whenever the, this story first came out, I thought, you know, so what? It's the president's son. Uh, he likes to hang out with strippers. Uh, he likes to frequent prostitutes. OK, it's salacious. But is this really something that merits investigation? But as this story has has slowly leaked out, and even the New York Times has confirmed it's now a legitimate story, it's really his laptop computer, we're seeing evidence of financial dealings that could potentially implicate the president of the United States, and now it becomes a story. And, uh, and I think it does merit some in- investigation, but this also points out, this also points out the problem with social media companies. Because they're private companies and they've said we're not bound by the First Amendment. But at first, if you said something about the Hunter Biden laptop, you were kicked off of Twitter. You were kicked off of YouTube. You were kicked off of Facebook by suggesting that this was a story. And now we're going to see that it really is a legitimate story, not the hookers part or the using drugs. Again, I think that's just salaciousness. But the involvement of Hunter Biden, or rather the involvement of President Biden in Hunter Biden's business dealings that were primarily in China, or they were primarily in Ukraine, and they could have possibly involved uh, Russian financing in this situation with the corporations that he was advising in Ukraine. So all of that comes into play because who's going to hire Hunter Biden to be their corporate, uh, uh, their, uh, their corporate go-to person or their corporate consultant? Nobody's going to do that. The only reason you hire Hunter Biden is to get access to the then vice president and the future president. That's the only reason. And so from that perspective, even though I was initially not excited about this as a story, uh, I have seen how this is an important investigation. And talking about investigations, I also see several other uh, possible investigations coming forward because for the last or rather for the four years during the Trump administration, we heard Democrats in Congress yelling and screaming about how uh, they are the oversight for the White House. It's their responsibility to keep the White House accountable, to keep the White House transparent, to make sure that the White House isn't involved in activities that are uh, illegal, immoral or violate the dictates of Congress. And I'm just wondering if those same Democrat politicians who made those statements during the Trump administration, whether they still feel the same way for the last two years of the Biden administration. I mean, for example, the colossal catastrophe that was the withdrawal from Afghanistan. We're going to look into that. We're going to see how those decisions were made. And I've been on the record saying, I thought we should have pulled out of Afghanistan. We shouldn't have been there as long as we were. And I was in favor of the pullout. But no one can be in favor of the chaos that erupted because President Biden said an arbitrary date and said it had to be done by such and such a date. Lives were taken. How many people were clinging to the airplane when the airplanes were taking off from Bagram Air Force Base in Afghanistan? How many Afghanis died because they were clinging to the plane in order to escape? How many Afghanis who were assisting the United States military were abandoned? And were ultimately killed by the Taliban because we didn't make any steps whatsoever to help those who helped us when we were in Afghanistan. That's a travesty. 
And I'm looking forward to Congress looking into that. And also the the equipment, the I think there were 500,000 rifles that were left there, ammunition that was left there, enormous amounts of military equipment that has, is now owned and used by the Taliban, and that could be potentially used against the United States uh, in some future terrorist activity. So it does need to be investigated. Also, the threat of impeachment. Uh, now, I know some Republicans are calling for the impeachment of President Biden. I, I, at this point, I would disagree with that. There's no evidence that Biden has committed high crimes or misdemeanors as is required under the Constitution. But if you look at, at the, uh, the head of, of the Department of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, I think he's violated the law. He hasn't enforced the law when it comes to border security. He's told us time and time again the border is secure. Uh, he completely made up the story about the agents whipping uh, illegal immigrants when they were coming across the Rio Grande, uh, lied about that, knowingly lied about that when he was told before the press conference that it never happened. So that's a potential uh, for impeachment, but certainly uh, is guaranteed to be the focal point of investigation. And then we're looking at legislation. There's uh, certainly the possibility that the House will pass uh, legislation when it comes to border security. And then that puts Biden in a situation where he, I'm not sure that he can veto or at least block those bills because it's going to make him and the Democrat majority in the Senate look bad. By the way, the audio cut of the day, as always, sponsored by the Good Feet Store, comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief, all at the Good Feet Store. Uh, Sue, what do you want? Uh, do you do you care what the Republicans look into when they're running the Senate or running the House? I understand that that uh, some of this needs to be done. I, I'm just uh, I wonder how many people are just tired of it. Well, they're tired of it, but don't you think border security is a legitimate certainly focal border point security? Here? Yes, and, and that's not so much bickering. That's just saying if we have a country, a country is defined by its borders. We have to stop it if people are pouring across our border. Two to three million this year. Yes, it's ridiculous. It is. It has to stop. I know. And I, and I know the perspective of some is just like, I'm tired of it, but this needs to happen. No, I think they're tired not of specific issues. Well, we're all, I'm tired of the border not being secure. But uh, of the constant, let's attack this, let's sue for this, let's do for this. I, I, I think I would like some... Uh, People getting together and working on projects to get it done instead of having to involve justice and investigations. Yeah. And can we just work together yeah. and do things? Bring back the smoke-filled back rooms. <laughs> that, that's where stuff actually got yeah, done. I know. Uh, and listen, we got it done today. Brad Young sitting in for Mark Reardon. Thanks for all your help, Sue. And uh, Mark should be back uh, uh, on Monday. Make sure you stick around for the best of Dave Glover coming up next on 97.1 FM Talk. Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 